0: Bay Hills Community Church is pleased to have you join us as we continue our series Overwhelmed. In today's lesson, Lead Pastor David Fossil looks at Jesus' response to questions about prayer and what happens when we're overwhelmed with how to pray. Listen as Pastor Dave guides us through Jesus' words in the Lord's Prayer to some helpful information on the priority of prayer in our lives and as he makes the point that prayer can be learned.
1: Go ahead and uh, grab your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 11. If you grab one of the church Bibles, we're on page 725, Luke chapter 11. Grab the study guide that's in your program. Do you ever have the sense that when you're praying, you're not entirely sure what to say? You're, you're not entirely sure if you're, you're saying the right things or what you're saying is appropriate or inappropriate. Hey, do you ever get the sense where you start praying and after like about a minute or two, you don't, you don't know what else to say anymore? You know, as a pastor over the many years, as I've talked to many Christians, I, I get this feeling from a lot of us that while we know that prayer is important, we know it's an important characteristic of a lifelong follower of Jesus Christ. A lot of us, if we're honest, would go, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think I'm that good at praying. I, I'm not sure what to do. I'm not sure what to say. As we continue our series, we've got a couple weeks left of our series in the Gospel of Luke called Overwhelmed. I, I think it's been a really good series throughout this summer. Today we're going to talk about being overwhelmed with knowing how to pray or what to say during prayer. The book of Luke is packed with helpful stories and ideas on what to do. We're going to focus in on one little section in Luke chapter 11. It's actually a very famous section of the Bible because it's known as the Lord's Prayer. The problem is very few of us actually read what Luke has to say about the Lord's Prayer because he gives the condensed reader's digest version. We kind of know and quote the Matthew version. You'll see it in a second. Matthew chapter 11, verse 1. You can follow along in your Bibles or follow along on the screen. Here's what it says. Verse 1, chapter 11. It says, One day, uh, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. A couple of things that I want to point out to you, just about this introductory verse heading into the prayer. The first thing is that I'm thinking, I don't know about you, but I'm thinking, if there's anybody that doesn't have to pray, if there's anybody that's already holy enough, righteous enough, if there's somebody that already has a connection with God, they, prayer, they don't really need it. If, if there's anybody that that is true of, it's got to be Jesus. I mean, he doesn't really need to pray like we need to. But you see in verse 1 here in Luke 11 and throughout the gospel stories that Jesus is constantly praying. It is a high priority for Jesus. So right away, bells should be going off in your head and you should be saying to yourself, well, if Jesus thinks it's important to pray, how much more so is it important for us? The priority of prayer is in our lives. The second thing that catches my attention from this very this first introductory verse is the idea that, that prayer can be learned. Because the disciples say, Te- teach us to pray. You know, most of the times, a lot of times in the, in the New Testament, we see Jesus going off to pray. But this verse seems to imply that he didn't do that. This verse seems to imply they're having croissants and breakfast, having a cup of coffee, cappuccino. Jesus is done and he just, you know, I'm going to, I'm just going to be right here. I'm going to be praying for a second. He's done praying. They see him that he's done praying. The disciple comes running over one of them and says, teach us to pray. And it's not just Jesus teaching to pray. Teach us to pray just as, in other words, we have example of John. John the Baptist taught his disciples. Just a little something to throw out. If you are a leader in this church, whether you're an elder, a deacon, ministry leader, staff person, just something to think about. Part of your responsibility is to help people learn how to pray, to teach how to pray. It's part of the steps of discipleship. Teach people how to pray. Now, in this case, they ask Jesus, can you teach us how to pray? Now, right away, if I'm in that group and Jesus agrees to do this, I'm super excited. Because this is, this is Jesus teaching you how to pray. I mean, this is like Tiger Woods teaching you how to golf. This is like Michael Phelps teaching you how to swim. This is like Van Gogh teaching you how to paint. This is like Dale Earnhardt Jr. teaching you how to drive. This is like Albert Einstein being your tutor in math. This is like Elizabeth Taylor teaching you how to find a husband. This is a good thing, right? (laughs) Jesus teaching you how to pray. Now, the good news is, is they wrote it down. So we can also learn from Jesus how to pray. And he goes on and he says this in verse 2. Okay, I'm going to teach you how to pray. When you pray, here's what I need you to do. Here's what I want you to say. Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Now, right away, you could see what I'm saying by the Reader's Digest version, can't you? Because the the version you know, the version that kind of we can quote out loud, is not this one. You're like, there's some sentences missing in here. There's some phrases that aren't in here, right? Uh, Nevertheless, many of us have memorized this prayer, or something close to it. I remember the very first prayer that I memorized as a child. Someone had crocheted or stitched some. A prayer a child's prayer that my parents had framed and put it in in, in my sister's room and i gotta tell you i'd be honest with you this prayer freaked me out scared the living daylights out of me and and i bet you it's a prayer that many of you have learned and maybe you have even taught your children you know how it goes now i lay me down to sleep i pray the lord my soul to keep if i should die before i wake i pray the lord my wait wait what, what what If I should die before I wake? I mean, was there something in the Kool-Aid? Do we have a gas leak? What is this a, like a 50-50? Mom's like, we're going to miss you, Dave. You know? I don't know why we teach kids this. If I should die before I wake. But that's the first prayer I learned. Yeah, I might die tonight. If I do, I hope I'll go to heaven. Right? That's the prayer. Now, this prayer isn't meant to cause any fear. But like that child's prayer that I memorized and maybe you memorized too, we quote it. I remember watching Princess Diana's funeral on TV. And the, the priest prompted everyone to say the Lord's Prayer. I remember when Magic Johnson announced that he was retiring from basketball because he had, he, he had the AIDS virus. And I remember Pat Riley, they, were ha- they had an away game in New Jersey. I think he was the coach of, of Miami at the time. He got on the microphone in front of the whole stadium there and prompted everybody and they all said the pr- Lord's Prayer together. Just yesterday, last night, I'm watching one of these you know, documentary crime shows of you know, this or that, and the police caught him, and this guy's on death row, and he's just about ready to be executed. And then they, they show an image of the people outside the prison the day, the evening, before he's, he's going to be executed. And they're all holding candles, and they've got signs against the death penalty. And guess what they're all doing together? They're saying the Lord's Prayer together. This this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, is something that that whether you're a church-going person or a non-church-going person, there's a good chance that you have recited it in public at some point in time. Now, here's what you need to know about this prayer. There's nothing wrong with quoting this prayer word for word for word for word. However, virtually every Bible scholar and, and student will tell you that that's not how it was intended by Jesus. That it is not meant to be a mantra prayer that we just recite and say word for word. It was given by Jesus more as a model or an outline for prayer. So when you are praying, every single phrase is meant to prompt you to pray in a certain way. Or to do a certain thing while you're praying. So here's what I'm going to do. Most of you, you know this prayer. And if you look, notice your study guide, all I've done is given you the words of this prayer, and then there's, there's no fill-in. Uh, because each slide is going to be so full of stuff, you put down whatever's going to prompt your mind to remind you what to do for every single one of these phrases. Let's just throw the first slide up here. It'll make sense. The first phrase is, Our Father who is in heaven. Now you'll see how I in, I'm going to break every sentence down and phrase down and it, it help you understand. The first idea is, Our Father. Why is that such a big deal? To me, it's a big deal because Psalm 23 starts with a personal pronoun, my. He's my shepherd, but apparently when it comes to prayer, it's not first person pronoun, uh, my. Now it's our. Well, what's going on here? couple things. First of all, it's the, the idea that you are to be reminded that we are a spiritual family. He's just not my dad. He's not my father. He's our father. Right? Second idea. It's the idea that while praying in private is important, quite possibly praying corporately or with a group is just as or even more important. This is a phrase you would say when you're with a group of Christians praying. By the way, it's one of the best ways you can learn how to pray. Think about how you learn how to cook. You're with someone in the kitchen while they're cooking. How do you learn how to shoot jump shots? You go out and shoot jump shots with someone who's really good. Sometimes one of the best ways you can learn how to pray is just be with other people that are praying and listen and watch and observe what they do. Our Father, remember you are part of a spiritual family that corporate prayer is important. I I grew up going to church during a day and age where we used to have Wednesday night prayer meeting. You guys remember Wednesday night prayer meeting? Wednesday night prayer meeting was pretty interesting though. There's a couple things, it was interesting. One thing about prayer meeting both annoyed me and entertained me. What annoyed me about Wednesday night prayer meeting was that we would spend the first four minutes with a song. Then we would have 45 minutes of prayer requests, seven minutes of prayer, and then we would go. It wasn't a prayer meeting. It was a prayer request meeting. The very thing that annoyed me also entertained me, though. The prayer requests. Now, this is me as a little boy, just sitting, listening to prayer requests. Do You guys remember that? First of all, they, 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 it was very subtle, but, but it was almost like sanctified gossip. Do you guys remember that? Someone would stand up and go, oh, please pray for Brother Joe. What's wrong with Brother He started drinking again. Really tell us more about that. What's going on with Joe? But please pray for, uh, you know, Sister, Sister Joan. What, what happened? Well, she got into an argument with her boss at, at work, and she, she said a couple things to the boss, and she might get fired. What, what, what did she say? Oh my goodness, really? She said it was like sanctified gossip. All you had to do is go to a prayer meeting and find out what was going on there was life. Right? <laughs> then there was of course that 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 one person that would share a prayer requests and go on and on. And on. And poor pastor would try and get the microphone from, from, from normally, you know, for this person. And they, they wouldn't let go. And they would just go on. And, and what I did on vacation this summer. And it's not even the prayer request anymore. she just so going somewhere else. But then the one thing that always entertained me was that one inappropriate prayer request. Remember, every single prayer meeting, there's one inappropriate prayer request. True story. Eighty, 90-year-old woman stands up and she says uh. She says, please pray for my son. He has surgery next week. Pastor says, well, what, what's wrong? They're going to take out his prostitute gland. <laughs> Excuse me. I think that's the prostrate gland. No, I'm pretty sure it's the prostitute gland. No, that may be another problem. But uh, just... Of course, the prayer meeting is over. Right? Somehow or another, we've got to get back to corporate prayer in a way that we pray. Right, we did that at our last worship time here on a Wednesday. It was pretty neat. But R is the idea that you're part of a spiritual family and corporate prayer is important. Then our Father. Think about the options that it could have been. Could have been our Savior. Could have been our Creator. Could have been our King. But none of those are mentioned. Our Father. S- some of you know that the Greek there is the word Abba. Abba. Which means in the Greek, Daddy. Not even Father, but Daddy. There are three people on this planet that call me dad or daddy. My children. Um, and, and, you know, when I come home after a busy day at work, uh, when I'm in, in a bunch of meetings or at church, when I come into the home, the, these three individuals, you know, when they see me come in the door, they don't start out and go, Almighty procreator of our family! Great sustainer and supreme ruler of the fossil household, we beseech thee and welcome thee. They don't say that. I want them to say that, but they don't say that. Normally the first person I see when I walk in the house is my daughter Julia. She's on the couch. She's watching TV. Daddy! Daddy's home! You can't watch the big TV. I'm watching TV. You can't watch the big TV. But she greets me with Daddy. Eventually the, uh, the older two kids, they don't normally call me Daddy anymore. They just call me Dad. Or, old man, I need some money. Or whatever, something like that, right? (laughs) Nothing warms my heart more than the word dad. And I rather imagine our Heavenly Father feels the same way about you. When you come into his presence and say, Father... Now, let me just say something. I'm going to take you on just a little tangent. And I'm going to do it because there's enough people that have said it to me over the years. Is Some of you have said, you know, that this phrase of our father is something I struggle with because my father was not a good dad. He was actually hurtful to me. And so there's this, this issue that I'm kind of internally struggling with. And I, I don't have any trick for you. I just want to say you have to, in a mature fashion, put that to the side and make a distinction between an earthly father and a perfect heavenly father. You know, it's the, it's the idea that, you know, you don't stop going to restaurants because you went to one restaurant and got food poisoning there. So, so just make that distinction. Some our earthly dads and fathers, some of them didn't do a very good job and some of them were hurtful. But this is our heavenly father that is perfect. The idea is that you can have a close, intimate relationship with him. A healthy, mature relationship with him. Now, i got to tell you, you can't call him dad until you've done one thing. Until you've accepted his son Jesus as your savior. That's what the Bible says. So you got to make sure you could say, or, you're part of a, a spiritual family, father, uh, he's my dad because of what Jesus has done for me in that acceptance. Our father who is in heaven. That seems like a long way away, doesn't it? Heaven? I mean, that seems like it's saying like in a far, far galaxy, you know, many moons away, you know. I don't know what time zone heaven is in, but it's got to be like Australia or something. It's a long way away. You know, hopefully he'll hear me. The problem with the English translation is that it's completely the opposite of what the Greek says. The Greek word heaven literally means the air we breathe. So Jesus is teaching when you pray... Know that God is closer to you than the breath you take into your lungs. I don't know about you, but I want that kind of God that's right next to me. He's not in some galaxy galaxy far away, He's right next to me. What does this phrase prompt you to do? Make sure I'm connected to a spiritual family, make sure that I pray corporately or with other individuals. Make sure that I can call Him Father and develop that relationship with Him. And understand and acknowledge that He's right next to me. That's what that prayer is is meant to do as an outline. The second line, our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. I, I don't know many of us that use the word hallow, but the word to hallow means to honor, respect, or attach value, in this case, to God. So if I say Usain Bolt is a fantastic sprinter he's the fastest man on earth he's awesome what I just did is hello Usain Bolt the sprinter and the olympics from Jamaica you 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 honor that you respect what they're capable of but but Jesus says you need to do this and you want to do this with God he throws us a little bit of a curveball that some of us don't understand. Hallow his name. I don't know. What does that mean? Hallow his name. The reason we don't understand this is that in our culture, when you have a baby, normally you give him the name, I just think it's a cool name. That's normally what we do, a lot of it. Now sometimes you give them a name of, of a relative or something, but a lot of times we pick the names of our kids just because we think they're cool names. That's not how it worked in Hebrew culture. In Hebrew culture at the time, the name represented who you were. The name represented what you stood for, your character. That's why sometimes in the Old Testament and even the New Testament, someone's name was changed because they were different. In the Old Testament, God has all kinds of names. We would say nicknames. It's not like they couldn't decide what to call them. No, It it was his primary name with a nickname. Because that nickname or that name represented something about God. I've given you just six of about 20. Jehovah Tzkenu means God is righteous or God is holy. Does that benefit you? You better believe it. Think about if God was all powerful but not righteous and holy. Every once in a while, he messed up. Oh, my bad. Yeah, no, I got, I, I got everybody over here. I took care of them. But you guys over there, my bad. It was a bad week for me. It's incredibly valuable that he is Jehovah Titzkenu. He is Adonai, Master. In other words, he is in control. He is El Shaddai. He is Almighty. What if if he was all-knowing? He knew how to fix your problem, but he was not Almighty. He had the strength and power to fix it. That would be a problem. But the Bible says that he is El Shaddai. He is all-powerful. He is Jehovah Shalom. You know that word. It means peace. He, brings, he can bring peace into my heart, peace into my relationships. He is Jehovah Rophe. He can heal me of those hurts that I've had. He can heal me physically, spiritually, relationally. He can heal me because he's Jehovah Rophe. He's Jehovah Jireh. He's our provider. He will provide when I have needs. So when you're praying, take a moment to reflect on the character of God. Let me ask you a question. Do you ever, in the middle of your prayer, find your mind wandering? Does that ever happen to you? You're praying, and before you know it, you're thinking about the doctor's appointment, you're thinking about the kids going back to school, you're thinking about your fantasy football draft, you're like, oh my goodness, what am I doing? I'm supposed to be praying, right? But your mind has wandered. It's what counselors call a mindlessness. Your, Your body is there, but your mind is somewhere else. It happens to some of you every Sunday during the sermon. I can see your eyes. They're all glazed. You're, you're here, but you're not really here, right? Mindlessness. Now, I'm going to give you a little exercise to show you how this works, to show how our mind you know, works sometimes. Now, what I need to do is I'm going to give you statements, and all of you together are going to respond to me. They're easy statements, so let's kind of practice here. Here's how the first one goes. The tree that grows from an acorn is called an... Okay, so like about seven people said that. Okay? The, all of us need to say it. Ready? Okay, here we go. The tree that grows from an acorn is called an... The dark vapor that comes from fire is called... Instead of Pepsi, I prefer to drink... The sound a frog makes is called a... The white of an egg is called a... You see what just happened there? That's called mindlessness. The white of an egg is not called the yolk. It's called the white of an egg. Oh yeah. Uh, some of you are just getting it. It's all right. Okay. That's called mindlessness. You're not zeroed in. You're not focused. And before you know it, you're, you know. Take a moment in the middle of your prayer, dear God. Thank you that you're my Father, and that I can have the kind of relationship with you that is close. That's as a friend. Thank you that you're close by to me, in the air I breathe. Dear God, I want to thank you for your holiness because. Dear God, I want to thank you for your greatness because. Dear God, I want to thank you for your wisdom because. Dear God, I want to thank you for your peace because. And you can go, take a moment to reflect on the character of God. Don't just barge in, kick the door down and start asking for stuff. Take a moment to reflect on who you're talking to. Hallowed be your name. The the next sentence is sometimes confusing to us. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Now, this is important. The whole prayer starts by reminding us that he's a father. But don't for one minute forget he's also a king with a kingdom. We, as Americans, in our history, had a, a war that we fought so that we wouldn't have to live under a king. So as Americans, we don't really understand what that means. Even in Europe, where they, where they have you know, royalty now, they, they still don't really know what it means. Rewind the tape 500, 600 years. Where a king was was the president, prime minister, and the senate, the the, the judicial all rolled up in one. Rewind it two thousand years ago when this is written. And understand that the king is the man. What the king says goes. When king shows up in your town, everyone bows a knee, no one makes eye contact unless you're allowed to. He's a king. He's a king that has a kingdom. But I don't understand. What's this kingdom come? Let's, let's fill in the phrase that we know. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, so is this kingdom coming? I'm still not sure I understand. Look at the definition of a kingdom and the kingdom come. The definition of kingdom come is what God wants actually happens. What God wants actually happens. When that occurs, his kingdom comes and it arrives, and it takes over. Is this happening? Yes and no. It's happening in heaven. He gets everything he wants and everything in heaven. Everything is working the way he wants in heaven. Is it happening here on earth? Not necessarily. Now, don't misunderstand this. His kingdom is not just a spiritual kingdom. There are certainly things he wants spiritually. There are also things he wants socially. There are also things he wants economically. There are things he wants environmentally. There are things he wants relationally. There are things he wants politically. Make no mistake about it. All you've got to do is go to the end of Revelation and see that eventually he will establish his kingdom and everyone will fall underneath it. And every one of the categories I just mentioned, he will have a plan for. So what am I supposed to do when I pray your kingdom come? I've given you this very specific because it's probably the trickiest of all the phrases. Two things. Pray that God's kingdom would come in our world. Question. Is God pleased with the fact that we have homeless people within 15 minutes of this church? Is God pleased with the fact that sex trafficking is a major industry in this country and around the world? Absolutely not. So when you pray, have a little bit bigger perspective and not just your world. Understand that in many different areas, God wants something to happen and it's not happening now. Pray for that. Pray that it would happen. Pray that God's kingdom would come in your life. Now this is much easier to do because you actually can play a part in this happening. What does God want to have happen in your life? Think about that. Dear God, you know that one area I haven't given to you? I I pray that your kingdom would come in that relationship at my home and family. I pray that your kingdom would come in my finances. I pray that your kingdom would come in how I handle myself at work. What you're asking for is what you want, God, I want as well. Your kingdom come. Some of us think of prayer as a fire extinguisher. We just pull it out when there's a fire in an emergency. Some of us think of prayer as a magic wand you know, God's our genie and he does tricks for us. Some of us think of, of prayer like we have a shopping cart, we're at the supermarket, and we're just getting stuff that we want, right? Some of us think of prayer as a tug of war. I'm pulling against God and, you know, I'm going to get it out of him. Don't think of it as that. Think of prayer like we are all officials working for the king in, his, in the palace. And our job collectively is to bring about what our king wants. His kingdom come. What do you want, king? What do you want? Because whatever you want, I want. And I'm going to try and make it happen. Your kingdom come. The next one we're pretty good at. Give us today or each day our daily bread. Uh, we, we go through this so quickly, we don't really think about this. But, but give. Give. It, 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 what, it, what it reminds us of is that not only is it okay to ask for stuff, but God expects you to ask for stuff. My guess is that every single one of us here has needs. Now, our needs may not be for bread, frankly, because my guess is that no one here showed up hungry. And if you did, you came a couple minutes early and got a donut. Very few of us don't have enough to feed ourselves. In the context of when this was said, that was the case. They didn't even have food for for mañana. Okay? Give me food for today. But ask for stuff ask for stuff there's that old story about this guy who's getting a tour of heaven he gets to heaven they're walking him around the, you know the dining hall or working around walking around the 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 worship center they're taking him to the to you know the castles and everywhere everyone lives and then they take him to this massive warehouse and they're walking around and there's all these big parcels and gifts and 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 each gift has a tag on it with a name on it and so so the guy asks the angel what is that He says those were things that God wanted to give his children, but they never asked. I don't know why God organizes it this way, but there are some things he doesn't give you until you ask. So what what are your needs? Ask him. Don't talk to the pastor about it. Don't talk to others about it. Talk to God about it. Make sure you talk to God about it, and then you could talk to everyone else. Talk to God about it. Give. I need something. Give us, not me, give us our needs. Don't make sure your prayer is selfish. Don't just pray for me, 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 I. Make sure you, you pick up your head and notice there are other brothers and sisters in Christ that have needs. Make sure you notice your neighbors and coworkers that have needs. One thing we should all be praying for is the people of Iran that just went through this horrible earthquake and what they're going through. Pick up your head, look at the newspaper. The newspaper itself can be a prayer guide for you. Pray for others. Not just me, but us. Give us today our daily bread. Why not monthly? Why not, God, can you just take care of me for the next quarter? Why is that? Now, as human beings, we should plan for next month. We should plan for next year. But when talking to God, he gives us this outline of ask for daily needs. Why? Because God has set this system up where he wants you to have trust in him. And be honest, I would do it, probably you too. If God took care of my needs for a year out, if he said, okay, Dave, here we go. I'm going to just write this check. I'm going to take care of this. Boom, boom. You're set for a year. What would many of us do? We wouldn't come back to him until next year. And he doesn't want that. He wants this constant conversation. He wants a daily conversation. Give me enough strength for today. Give me what I need for today. The daily. But I think it's interesting. Give us today our daily bread. Not steak. Bread. When you ask for stuff, do you ask for steak or do you ask for bread? You go, what's the difference? Well, one is a need and one is a greed. Now, sometimes God will give you extra fun stuff. But, but one of the lessons you learn even in your prayer life is contentment. What, what do I need to live on? You know, what, what, what do I need? And again, I've done this, this, this comparison game between us and people around the world. We are very, very blessed. Okay, give us today our, our daily bread. What's the lesson that you learn from this phrase? Ask for stuff. Talk to God about what you need. And don't give up. Keep doing it. Okay? Don't quit in your prayer life. The next phrase is a key, a key phrase in the prayer. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Okay? Now, if I um, lose my temper with you and yell at you, and I come and ask for your forgiveness, true biblical forgiveness involves two things. Number one, to confess. That's where I admit my wrong. I come to you and I say, you know what, I am sorry, I lost my temper, I should not have yelled at you. But that's not the entire package of forgiveness. Some of us think that's all it is. True forgiveness is now me repenting, resolving not to do it again. See, if, if I lose my temper and yell at you and say, oh, I'm sorry, and then tomorrow I lose my temper again and yell at you, and, I'm so sorry, and then the following day I lose my temper and yell at you, I'm so sorry, no, I'm not. I'm doing half of forgiveness. I'm just doing the confession part. True forgiveness with one another and with God is admitting, Dear God, I'm messing up over here. And I'm not going to do it anymore. That's true forgiveness. With your spouse, with your children, with your friends, with your God. So ask for forgiveness. But the key to this phrase, and many of us miss it, the key to this phrase is the word forgiveness. As, which means in the same manner, forgive us in the same manner as we forgive those who sin against us. Question, do you ever bump into someone and you think, hmm, I wonder if something's wrong between us. They don't say anything that that they're upset at you, but you get this feeling like they're giving you the cold shoulder. You get this feeling like you used to have longer conversations, now they're shorter conversations. You, you used to text back and forth, not so much text back and forth. You used to shoot an email every once in a while, no more emails. You used to put a face. A, you know, post on their Facebook page, not so much anymore. You just kind of get this feeling that something's wrong. You ever have that happen? Do you ever have that happen with God? You're kind of like, you know... I. I'm going to church. I'm trying to be more consistent. I'm actually trying to read my Bible a little bit more. I'm trying to apply what I learn on Sunday. Let me see. I'm, I'm trying to be a better father and husband. I'm, I'm trying to do, you know, not, not cuss as much and do so. I'm trying to live a way that, that pleasing to God. But somehow or another, I, there's just, it feels like something's missing with God. I, I don't know what it is, but it seems like there's something off. You know why that is? Because for some of you, there is something wrong. And it's this right here. You just don't realize it. Here's what's wrong. Some of us have a spiritual cloud around us. A barrier between us and God. Because that person that hurt us, that ex-spouse, that family member, that friend, that coworker, that person that hurt us, we have been unwilling to forgive. Oh, we know we should, but we haven't. We talk about them behind their back. We, we think about what they did. And if we get a chance, I'm going to say this and say that. We stir up bitterness in our heart. We have not let go. And the problem is, is that when we ask for God for forgiveness, here's his mathematical and prayer formula. When I ask him for forgiveness, he goes, okay, let me get Fossil's uh, sheet here. Here's Fossil. Okay, here he is. I'm going to forgive Fossil in the same manner as... He's forgiving other people. So if I'm not forgiving other people, guess what God is doing? He's not forgiving you. And that's why some of you feel this tension with God. It has nothing to do with your relationship with God. It has everything to do with your unwillingness to forgive others. Are you like me in our family every once in a while? You know, we we do laundry at the end of the week. But every once in a while, something comes up at the end of the week and we can't do laundry and the weekend goes and no laundry. So you go that whole week, family of five, no laundry. Halfway through the second week, you're like scrambling for socks and you can't find stuff. The laundry in your in your room is piling over, you know. And then finally, you know, everyone gets their laundry and they just chuck it into the garage and, and, and you do like eight loads, Right? You don't even fold the loads. You just take the loads and you throw it on the futon. You don't even fold it. people, just go sift through and look for their food. You guys ever, or is that just my family? We had a futon full of clean clothes. Some of you haven't done spiritual laundry in a long time. And it's piling over. And it's not that you haven't sought forgiveness, you're just not receiving it because you've been unwilling to forgive someone else. So what does this prompt me to do in my prayer life? I start with the last piece first. Dear God, you know that person that said that one thing and they really, it really just oh it really got at me? Help me forgive them. And just, you know, even though they don't deserve it, help me just be respectful and kind to them next time I see them. Heavenly Father, I'm, I'm going to let you even up the score, God. I know that you are a just God and you'll take care of the situation, but I want to be right with you, so help me forgive them. Step one. Step two, dear God, you know that time I lost my temper and I said those things I shouldn't have said? Forgive me for that. But forgiveness is a significant and important part of what you do as a believer in your prayer life. you got to do some laundry, okay? Last one. Lead us not into temptation. Now, the reason I haven't given you answers here is because this is a controversial phrase Some people misinterpret it. Some people, they assume that lead us not into temptation means that occasionally he does. In other words, occasionally God hangs a carrot right there to see if, you know, see what you're going to do. Every once in a while God puts you on a boat to Temptation Island. See if you're strong enough to resist. Is that what he does? Because that's what that seems to imply. And then some of us that kind of know our Bibles, like, I remember somewhere else that it says that God doesn't do that. But this verse seems to imply it. Let me show you what I mean. Let's put the next slide up there. Luke chapter 11 at the top is what we just read. James chapter 1 verse 13. When tempted, no one should say God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil. Here it comes. Nor does God tempt anyone. So which one is right? Is Luke 11 right? That God occasionally leads us into temptation? Or is James 1 right? He doesn't tempt us. Because I, I don't understand. Because they seem to be teaching different things. Here's the key to understanding how God and Satan uses the, this idea of temptation. It's to understand the Greek word. The Greek word is the word perasmos. Now the word perasmos means Trial it's the same word in Luke 114 as it is in James 113. It means trial, but the way we translate it into English is based upon whether it's Satan doing the trial or it's God doing the trial. Let me explain to you what I mean. Let's put the last slide up there before we wrap up. Satan takes a perasmos, a trial in your life. He takes a problem in your life. He takes an issue in your life. And what he tries to do with perasmos is he tries to tempt you to sin against God. Think about the last time you sinned. A lot of times we sin when our life is falling apart in an area. And we're like, oh, this, this is horrible. And we cut corners morally to get out of it. God, uh, Satan does that to a lot of us. He uses pedasmos, problems, trials, to get us to sin against God. God uses the same pedasmos, trials, differently. He uses them to test us in order to strengthen our faith. And some of us will think about what, 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 what we've gone through in the past, and we realize, you know, I, I did handle that pretty well. And I came out of it a stronger Christian. Same word. One issue. How will you handle your paidosmos, your trial? So what does this prompt you to pray? Well, think about the issue you're going through right now. Think about the problem you're going through right now. Whatever it is, dear God, give me the wisdom to, to know which way is the right way. I, I don't know. And, and, and then, and then when, you, when you tell me, give me the courage and the self-discipline to do the right thing. Because I want to come out of it with my faith strengthened I don't want to come out of it having to confess sin because because I, I was tempted and fell. Same word, same issue, different issues. When you pray, say, Father. Make sure you have an intimate and a close relationship with him. When you pray, hallow the name of God. Reflect on his character, who he is, and the value and the benefit that is to you. Ask that his kingdom come in this world, in our country, and in your life. When you pray, bring your needs to him. A- and ask for bread, not for steak. When you pray, make sure you do some spiritual laundry. Make sure you ask for forgiveness and make sure you give forgiveness. And when you pray, think about the issue, the trial, the problem you're going through, that God would give you wisdom and courage to do what is right and what is honorable. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, what a privilege it is to come into your presence, knowing that not all followers of yours have had that opportunity over the years. In the Old Testament, the only one that could talk to you was the priest, the high priest. Just a couple days a year when he would go into the Holy of Holies chambers and communicate to you. But because of what Jesus did on the cross, every single one of us has the opportunity to go into your throne room, to talk to you, to bring our requests to you, however small they are. Father, what a privilege it is to talk to you and yet many of us would admit that we haven't maybe focused on, on this thing called prayer we haven't worked on this thing called prayer but we want to get better at it we want to get better at it individually we want to get better at it as a church so Father I pray that you would help each of us do that as heads are bowed and eyes are closed I'm going to give you an opportunity to apply what you've just learned today What I'd like you to do right now is I'd like you to think about a character quality of God. And I want you to praise Him for that. I want you to thank Him that He is that way. Do that right now. I'd like you to take a moment right now And I want you to think about something that God wants. Something he wants in our neighborhood. Something he wants in our our world. Something he wants in your life that he doesn't have right now. I want you to pray that that would happen. I want you to pray that his kingdom would come in that area. Do it right now. I want you to think about a need that you have. I want you to think about a problem you need solved. I want you to think about a decision you need to make you're not sure what, what to do. And I want you to take a couple moments and talk to God about it and ask Him what you should do. Take a moment and do it right now. I want you to do some spiritual laundry. I want you to think about that person you haven't forgiven and then I want you to think about something that you need to be forgiven for. I want you to take just a couple moments. I want you to talk to God about those two things. Do it right now. I want you to think about a problem and a trial in your life right now. I want you to ask God that he would help you to make sure that that trial doesn't become a temptation and sin, but instead becomes an opportunity for you to strengthen your faith. Do that right now. got up early one morning and rushed right into the day. I had so much to accomplish that I didn't have time to pray. Problems just tumbled about me and heavier came each task. Why doesn't God help me? I wondered. He answered, you didn't ask. I wanted to see joy and beauty, but the day toiled on gray and bleak. I wondered, why didn't God show me? And he said, because you didn't seek. I tried to come into God's presence. I used all my keys at the lock. God gently and lovingly chided, my child, you didn't knock. I woke up early this morning and I paused before entering the day. I had so much to accomplish. I had to take time to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and thank you for how helpful it's been. Father, we thank you for the Lord's prayer. When we say it word for word, but today you've reminded us that it's more like an outline. And we don't have to take our sermon notes with us. We can remember this. Because we know the Lord's Prayer. And now you've given us an idea of what, what each phrase means and what we're to do. So, Father, we've applied it already today, Sunday. I pray we would apply it tomorrow, Monday, and for the rest of the week. I pray that our prayer life would become stronger individually and corporately. And one more time, I just want to thank you that you are a God that's interested in talking to us and hearing from us. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: It's our hope that today's podcast has enriched your life and answered questions you may have had. If you'd like more information about what was said in this podcast or about Bay Hills Community Church, you can reach us on the internet at www.bayhills.net. Bay Hills, located in El Sobrante, California, is radically committed to reaching the unchurched in the Bay Area and to developing believers into fully devoted followers of Christ. Thanks again for listening.